Welcome to the Khalil Osiris Podcast. In this episode, Khalil will break down the criminogenic needs domains. Domain number two, marital and family relationships. The second domain is marital family relationships. And this domain uh, places value, focuses on placing value on uh, our relationships with family members and the importance of family support in being ready for release. Uh, Oftentimes when one is in prison, over the years, particularly if we serve more than three, four, or five years, what we find is that family relationships become more distant. And so the, at the same time that we're enduring our, uh, serving our sentence and hoping that uh, life will work out for us and we'll be able to get out and, and be well, we're struggling with what it means to lose family members, to lose family support. And the challenge in that area is that once you're released, if the family members have fallen apart, if the family structure and relationships have fallen apart during one's incarceration, oftentimes there's bitterness associated with that experience. And so there's a real danger of becoming bitter towards family members and family members seeing you, uh, the person who's incarcerated, as someone who's always got their hand out, always in need, but never able to provide much to them. And so we uh, find it very important to provide programming in this domain because we know it's critical for reentry. In fact, what we say is the only lasting reentry program that we've ever seen that has gone well beyond what grants when other grant monies are not there is the family. The family. That is the, the only lasting reentry program that can be sustained without a grant. We're talking about the criminogenic needs domains. And in talking about the criminogenic needs domains, it's important to understand that one of the underlying assumptions of criminogenic needs domains, a lot's being said in that. One is criminal, they're talking about crime. The root here is crime. And it's not just any type of crime, but it's crime that is somehow connected to an issue of behavior and upbringing and all kinds of other very deep issues. Some people can even see in this a reference to genetics. So this is a very big word, not just in its letters and in its spelling and in its length but in its underlying meaning and the implications that it has for those of us who will be assessed as to our release readiness based on this model. Some of us believe that for no other reason than the fact that we grew up in an environment where crime was common or hustling was commonplace for no other reason that, than that we had a household situation where our father was a hustler, our mother was a hustler, our father was absent, everybody in our household sold drugs or drank and did all kinds of things that basically reflected a criminal lifestyle. Some of us believe that we're doomed to live that way. We're going to just live that way because this is all we know. 
And we would tell people, man, that's all I know. I don't want to hear anything about all that old other stuff about getting a job and working. And I don't have to live this way and I don't have to think that way. You don't know where I come from. You don't know how I've lived. You haven't walked in my shoes. And I understand that. But I also know something deeper than walking in your shoes or walking even in my shoes. I know that what's deeper than that is the power that you have to be bigger than your conditions, even if your conditions go back to the cradle of your life. Even if your conditions are rooted in how you were raised from a child, from a baby, before you even knew how to act differently than you act today. There is a power that you and I have to change it all. So talking about the criminogenic needs domains, and as they're commonly or popularly called, seven dynamic domains, the second domain is marital family relations. And basically, this domain focuses on the value placed on family relationships and how family relationships and the support that one has in terms of family relationships can be a predictor as to one's likelihood of staying out once they get out. Let me give you an example from my own set of circumstances. During my incarceration, both the first one and the second one, I remember particularly on the first one that my mother said to me at the time that I was in the county jail, I don't know how, I don't know what I did, I don't know how you ended up with everything we tried to do for you, you ended up blowing it all, giving, throwing it all away to go out there and commit crimes. I don't know how, I don't know what happened along the way that that's what you would decide, that's what you wanted to do with your life. And she was so, I'm, I'm talking about, for some of us who have had that kind of conversation with a family member, maybe it wasn't your mother, but there's somebody who believed in you and had high hopes for you and really had expected more of you than ending up strung out on crack or heroin or using heroin and selling dope and robbing people and stealing. They expected and hoped for more in you. And they get to a moment where they see you in your worst situation and they ask, how did it come to this? We may act like it didn't matter. We may pretend we don't remember those conversations or those times, but for those of us who have had that situation, we know deeply how much, how painful it was. And we don't forget it. We just stuff it. And so this dynamic domain, this criminogenic needs domain, marital family relations is crucial to understand as we begin to think about how developing healthy family relationships can impact our likelihood of staying out once we get out. Because the family relationship is not just us and our parents, it's us and our children. How many of you have a child or have children? Let me see your hands if you have a child. Wow. What that tells me is that for, for the majority of us in here, 
there's a child growing up without us present. And as hard as it may have been for you or I during that process, for us, for you and me, as hard as it may have been, as many things as we say it was tough for us to get over, believe this, it's even rougher for our children. Because without our being present, that's one less level of support in place for our children that they desperately need to be the best that they can be. So family relations, marital and family relations, challenges us to really think deeply about how can we improve our family relationships in a way that is going to be healthy and impactful in a positive sense so that we're better prepared for release. Now, given that we're talking about marital family relations, and we've already given a framework for what we call the triangle, because remember, all while we're doing this process, these dynamic domains, they're connected to the process in the psychology of incarceration where we have the mental health standard, which is the trait. Now, this gets really deep at the level of family relations. The mental health standard or the trait in the dynamic domain of marital family relations is love. And our definition of love in the context of the psychology of incarceration is an ability to embrace people and allow them to be themselves without having to fix them, without having to make them be the way we want them to be in order for us to accept them in our lives. Many of us get in relationships and if the person doesn't do what we want them to do, act the way we want them to act, think the way that we want them to think, respond the way that we want them to respond, we have great difficulty being in a healthy relationship with that person. In fact, the distortion of love in the context of the psychology of incarceration is manipulation. Now let's just think, how often in our relationships did we find ourselves trying to manipulate someone to do what we wanted them to do in order to get what we wanted? Think about how even in prison right at this moment, the way the whole structure of it is set up around phone calls and all of that, you know you got about 15 minutes on the phone. You know you're waiting on that money order, the food box, the sundry package, the new sneak. We're waiting on something. We're always waiting. We always want. By design, we're always asking rather than providing. So even the phone call that the 15 minutes or 10 minutes that we get where we're able to use it to reach out to the community, reach out into our families' lives and check on them, it has to be structured in a way where we can ask how they're doing and at the same time beg for something we might need. It gets to the point where when you really learn the science of making the phone call, you allot about a couple minutes for each segment of the process. But one thing for sure, the last thing you want to happen is for that phone to go click before you can ask about that money order or those things that you need. And one of the challenges with this process is that very often it leads to us being manipulative. And if something should happen where you ask the question, how are you doing, and the kids 
not somebody else's children. I'm talking about our children are in the background acting up, acting out. And then she's got to get off the phone to deal with the children and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ho, ho, hey, 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 wait a minute. Deal with them later. This is 15 minutes. She stays away from the phone for three to five minutes. That's part of your time ate up. And some of us aren't able to just keep calling back to back. Or we may start out that way, but you know, as soon as the phone bill comes in for that first time, we know what the drill is. Uh, You won't be calling. She won't be accepting. And God forbid we should call and hear Joe in the background. (laughs) Some of us have heard Joe in the background. Or Jody. (laughs) It's not always Joe. Joe's not always the bad guy in this case. (laughs) It might be Jody. But the point is that we end up being manipulative. And if we're not able to see ourselves for who we are in the context of marital and family relations, and if we're not able to really come clean about how we begin to develop traits, habits, and characteristics of being manipulative, then guess what happens? We start to walk around acting like, I'm not manipulative, I'm I'm in love. We get her to come to the visit, and we walk out on the visit, we get ready for the visit, we get our clothes pressed, we get all our things ready, we go out on the visit, and of course, the visit is an extension of the phone call. The visit is just an extension of the phone call. If you were asking on the phone call, guess what? You're asking on the visit. And if you're asking on the visit, what is it you're asking for? I I call this uh, the Twinkie syndrome or the Little Debbie syndrome. The pack of roll-up syndrome, the cup of coffee syndrome. Where everything hinges around some commissary, some money on our books, Someone providing us with something that we need that we cannot get for ourselves. And here's the problem with it. After doing it day in and day out for years on end, it's very hard to change that behavior, especially when we don't see the behavior for what it is. And that distortion has implications not just for the relationship, the particular relationship we're examining, but for all of our relationships. That's why it's not uncommon in the penitentiary for guys to look at each other and say, I don't trust anybody in the penitentiary. How many guys here feel that you, don't, you can't trust the average person in prison? Let me see your hands. Now, this is incredible. This is always amazing to me. I'm asking you how many of you feel believe that you can't trust the average guy in prison and most of your hands went up and you're in prison yourselves in other words you can't even trust yourself you don't even trust you You say well that ain't me i'm talking about the guy sitting beside me i'm you talking because he's talking about you you're talking about him but he's talking about you you are talking about the person sitting beside you being untrustworthy you can't trust them Really, there's not too much difference when we really examine it from the way you see yourself, the way we see ourselves in prison, and the way somebody on the street sees us with the, through the lens of a stereotype. They're prisoners, they're criminals, they're thieves, they're manipulative, they're predatory. 
They're worthless. They have low self-esteem. They don't believe in themselves. All they want to do is get us in a situation and take advantage of us. Use us. They'll lie to us and then act like they love us. And when they get out of prison, you know what they're going to do? First person they come in contact with, they're going to use them for everything they can get and be on their way until they get back on crack or heroin or selling drugs and go back to the penitentiary. And they'll go back to the penitentiary with that same story. Man, it wasn't for my, if it wasn't for dude, I wouldn't even be back. If old girl didn't call the police when I hit her upside the head, see, I wouldn't even be back. If your thinking didn't change, if you never developed healthy relationships in terms of marital and family experiences, guess what? If nothing changes, nothing changes. So the key becomes how do we now examine whether or not we're more in a distortion of love than in a healthy sense of love? Judging from your responses to how many of you believe most people in prison you can't trust, that is a reflection of the distortion. It's a reflection of the distortion. Not a distortion of whether or not it's true for you in here because it can be true and be a distortion. So don't get confused. You, something can be true and it can be a distortion. Here's an example, because this gets a little complicated. Here's an example. A person can be in prison for killing someone, for murder. And though they're in prison for murder, they can also be a decent human being. Because they're in prison for murder does not mean that there are no qualities about them that are redeeming, that are outstanding, that are positive, that are inspirational. It doesn't mean that. But some of us, once they hear that you're in prison for murder, cannot get beyond that label. And anything you do, no matter how much time you serve, guess what they think? He murdered somebody, he will always be a murderer, and he never deserves to get out of prison. I don't care how much he acts like or pretends he changed. And guess who the people are I'm talking about? For most of us, it's our own family members. It is our own families who have those beliefs about us. It's not just John and Jane Doe citizen out there in the world who we don't even know and who doesn't know us. It's people who do know us. I had an uncle who told me I got out of prison. He said I went to him and I, I needed a car loan. He looked at me. He said, what makes you think that I'm going to give you some money to help you with a car loan? Wait, I, how long have you been out? I said, uh, well, I've been out two months. He said, Two months. And how many times you've been in prison? I said twice. He said, and how long was this last time? I said 15 years. He said, listen, let me just tell you something. What I think is that you think that you are smart enough from all that time you did in prison to come out here and trick me into giving you some money. That's what I think that you think. But let me just tell you something since you're thinking that way. It ain't going to work. Go get a job. Get your own car. Come back to me when you've done that, then maybe we can talk. 
Now, you know, of course, my, my little feelings were hurt. You know, you know how that goes. My feelings were hurt. I was mad. I walked around for about three weeks thinking, you know, that's, see, I can't wait till I get on my feet to go back and tell him. This is what I did. I'm, this is, this is. But everything he said was true. I felt that for no other reason I had been in for 15 years and had done all that work in prison that now that I'm out, you're my family. You're supposed to help me. That's the least you could do is help me. You're sitting on full. You got all kind of money. You got a retirement that you will probably never spend. You got money saved up. You got all those things and you can't help me, your nephew. And I've looked up to you all my life. You can't help me because you think I'm a low-life prisoner. Ex-prisoner, ex-con, ex-felon, you can't help me? Or I'm not deserving of your help? Then you don't really love me. When in fact, through his lens, he was demonstrating the ultimate statement of his love for me. That's how he saw it. We saw it very differently. But we have to step back and understand it as we look at it through the lens of the loved one, the one who is out there who is our family member, who is our spouse, who are our children, they see the world sometimes very differently than we see it. And how they see it is oftentimes reflected in the way that we are always in a position begging and manipulating, and we think that because we don't acknowledge it as manipulation, that it's not manipulation, when for them, that's all it is. You, are, you and I are calling home, asking folks in our family for money, when they were broke before we got to prison, lost money with us coming here and are still broke now and we want them to send us some money from a welfare check because most of us here are broke and poor. Most of us here come from poor communities. Most of us here have situations where we know our family cannot afford to take a phone call from us every night, send us money every week, and still pay for the expenses of our children. Our children oftentimes end up suffering, going without because we say we need in here. And you know what? We convince their mothers that we do need something more than our children out there for us in here. If that is not manipulation, it's, it's, not only is it manipulation, it's despicable. But that's okay. But that doesn't make me a despicable person. Because we can separate the behavior from the person and still take responsibility for the behavior as the individual who committed the behavior in the first place. So we look at the condition with the trait of love. We look at this condition and we have it defined by someone who's gone through some experiences similar to our own and we examine the responses, and the only question becomes, that's of any real importance, are we acting out of the healthy pro-social definition of the trait or its distortion? And once you are clear about the nature of the distortion, then you have the power to change your thinking and ultimately change your behavior as it relates to that particular domain. Now, 
somebody would say, well, family relations, I've got strong family relations. I'm okay. I don't have to worry about that domain. Everything's going okay for me in that area. That's fine. The question becomes, in that case, how do you strengthen it? Because anything that you're doing well, you've got to find ways to sustain it. And it's not enough after a while to sustain it. You've got to grow it. You've got to nurture it. You've got to make it even better. Because real life weighs in on each of us. Real life weighs in hard. Sometimes we hit hurdles in our family lives where everything seems to be going along just smooth. And we call home one day and guess what? The son or the daughter that we have has suddenly got into some serious trouble. And now we can't figure out what to do. And our spouse, the mother of that child, who's out there doing it by themselves, or in some cases, if it's a woman, women in prison, that father is out there, not a clue what to do. And you know what? What was an area of strength for you in terms of the criminogenic needs domains suddenly comes falling apart, comes crashing down. And the help you could have got and the work you should have done, we didn't do. And so we're not prepared to handle the situation. So that is why we still examine our own thinking, our own values in the area of the domain, even the domain that we feel strong in. That is our commitment to doing the work of self-transformation. Thank you so much.